podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Monday, February 28th, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix or BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, all four, things of that nature, while also keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code router 50 to get your router at 50% off. That's libertyshield.com, router50, to get your router half price. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops for all your football merchandise needs. You can find them on Etsy, Use the codes EPL10 and RED10 to get 10% off. Right, folks, it is a joyous day. Obviously, Liverpool won the Carabao Cup yesterday. Champions of Carabao. Uh, so we'll start there. Liverpool nil, Chelsea nil in the Carabao Cup. Liverpool winning 11-10 on penalties. I've gone more in-depth on it as I do on the Daily Red. You can listen to more there. But to go over the game... Liverpool were the better team for the 90 minutes. Chelsea started very well and then reverted to sitting deep and trying to hit Liverpool on the counter. Liverpool were the better team for the 90. More of the ball, more shots, more shots on target, more shots blocked, more big chances created, more corners, all of that kind of stuff. Chelsea had some big chances in the game. There's no question about it. Both teams really should have scored in normal time. Liverpool did score in normal time. It was ruled out after Virgil van Dijk was adjudged to have interfered with the run of Rhys James or something. I don't know. But Joel Matip was robbed of a perfectly legitimate goal. Um, Chelsea had a couple of goals ruled out. Lukaku was offside. Havertz was offside. So, you know, these are things that, that happen in football. These are things that you expect. Um... In extra time, Chelsea were the better team. There's no real way to argue that. They had more momentum. They had more purpose. But we get to penalties. And Thomas Tuchel brings on Kepa. Now, you all remember a few years ago, in a League Cup final, Kepa refusing to leave the pitch when his manager tried to sub him off for a penalty shootout. Well, this time he was subbed on. This time he decided he was the big I am, trying to play mind games on people like James Milner. Baffling stuff. There were two penalties in particular scored on Kepa that ruined any chance he had of saving any of the others. 
Liverpool's second penalty was a Penenka by Fabinho that embarrassed Kepa. And their third penalty was the most alpha penalty you'll ever see in your entire life. Kepa deciding to stand three quarters of the way across the goal on one side and Van Dijk deciding he was going to put it in the quarter rather than the three quarters and then just death stare him out of it. Magnificent from Virgil. Chelsea, to their credit, they took great penalties as well. The only iffy one was probably Timo Werner's. Wasn't very well struck. Keller probably should have saved that one. The only one Kepa got close to was the Ibu Kanate one, but it had too much power, and he didn't really stand a chance of stopping it, bar getting a full hand on it. Um, we get to 10 penalties each taken, 10 penalties each scored, and upstepped the goalkeepers. And Cuevin Kelleher, who played as an outfielder till he was 15, who played GAA growing up, knows how to strike a football, stepped up and smashed his penalty home. And then Kepa stepped up. And then you knew it was over. Because all his mind games, all his nonsense, all his big I am and his bravado had been beaten away by the Liverpool penalties. And he stood looking at the ball like a scared child with the Liverpool end behind the goal, baying him. And he put it 50 yards back in the crowd. So, you know, a little bit of karma for all his messing and pretending to be the big fella. Liverpool win the cup. It's the first cup given out this season. And obviously, we will take it gladly. One of four is the war cry. Look, I'll take I'll take it and one more. I'll take it and one more and I'll be happy with the season. Um Liverpool deserved to win. They were the better team overall. And that is their 49th major honour. That is the most of any English club. United of 45, Arsenal of 31, Chelsea are closing the gap on them. Then it's City, then it's Tottenham. No, sorry, then it's City, then it's Villa, then it's Tottenham, then it's Everton. Um, United fans will try and include, I'm sure, Community Shields, which are pre-season friendlies. Uh, you, you can tell they're pre-season friendlies by the fact that for much of its existence, the charity shield could be shared and each team would get to keep it for six months. That is not a competitive trophy. They've tried to make it a competitive trophy in recent years. But the fact is, you don't have to win anything to take part in the community shield. Which has always annoyed me. You know, if if a team wins both the league and FA Cup, the team who finishes second in the league should not be in the Community Shield. It should be the team that wins the League Cup. That would make more sense, but that's not what they do. So when you can be in the competition without winning anything, and when you can, well, not anymore, but when you could take a draw and uh, share the trophy, it's not a real trophy for me. The European Super Cup, you have to win the European Cup or the UEFA Cup. That's what makes it different. The World Club Cup, you have to be champions of Europe. That's what makes them different. You have to have won something to get to those games. And, uh, yeah, like I say, Liverpool are the most successful club in the history of English football. So we'll park that there, like I said, more over on uh, this the, the Anfield Index podcast, The Daily Red, which uh, you can get every day around lunchtime. 
Uh, Premier League games this weekend. Starting Friday night, Southampton 2, Norwich 0. Che Adams scrambling one home on 36 minutes before an absolute rocket by Ariel Romeo on 88 wrapped it up for Southampton. Southampton dominated the game. They had 27 shots, 9 on target. Norwich had some moments, but it was a fairly one-sided game. And Saints were absolutely good value for their win. A win which takes them to ninth in the Premier League. Ahead of Brighton, great results for Southampton. Considering all the upheaval and uncertainty and bad runs of form that there's been at that club for the last couple of years, this is a great turnaround. And credit to Ralph Hasenhutl. Credit to the ownership and the patience they've shown him in allowing him to do his work and continue to build this club. Uh, For Norwich, unfortunately, they're bottom of the league. That's three defeats in a row after their little mini-revival. It's not looking particularly good for them. It's looking like this season ends one way, and that is with a return to the championship. But they'll go down in good shape. The only Norwich player you'd look at and say he definitely won't be there next year, is Max Ahrens. Now, unless the likes of Rashika and that have relegation release clauses, I can see him staying. Matthias Norman is an important player for them. He's missed a bunch of the season. They might not be able to keep him, but I hope that they can, and they won't keep Ozan Quebec because they're not going to pay $15 million for a centre-back when they go down, even though he is substantially better than Grant Hanley. Um, moving on. To Saturday's games. Leeds nil. Tottenham 4. Now we expected Tottenham to win the game comfortably. They did win the game comfortably. Leeds inability to do anything defensively. Costing them massively here. Uh, Matt Doherty made it 1 on 10 minutes. Slotting home after good work from Ryan Sessegnon. Kulisevsky made it 2 on thirty on 15 uh, some of the worst defending you'll ever see by Leeds. Harry Kane made it three on 27 minutes. Um, Melier should really do better with that one. From that angle, Melier should do better. And then on 85 minutes, Youngman's son wrapping it all up, putting a bow on it. Good ball by Harry Kane. Great run by by son. Good finish. And that's all she wrote. And unfortunately, that's also all she wrote for Marcelo Bielsa, who was fired after this game. Now, mutual consent is the official party line. And look, maybe it is a case that Bielsa went to them and said, I can't do this anymore. It's time to go in a different direction. But I hate this. I really do. I've loved what he's brought to English football. I've loved seeing him embrace the nature of English football and what he's done for Leeds in taking over a club that was going nowhere, going absolutely nowhere, mid-table in the championship, floundering as always, as they had done for 15 years beforehand. He took them over and he made them relevant again. He brought them back into the Premier League in his second season. He kept them up and didn't just keep them up in the first season. He finished in the top half. This season, they've been decimated with injuries. 
yes, maybe he should have been more pragmatic. Yes, maybe he could have improved certain things. But I also think people need to take a long, hard look at Victor Orta, the director of football there, and ask him, why is the squad this week at this point? How have you not built a better squad for the Premier League? I've said this before, but if you look at Leeds' best 11, there are at le- there is at least one championship player in it. At least one. Now, I would say Leeds' best 11 is Melier, Ailing, Laurente, Koch or Struijk, Firpo, Phillips, Rafinha, Rodrigo, Harrison, James and Bamford. Now, you might argue that Stuart Dallas should be in that. Okay, that's fine. Now, there's two championship players in it, Luke Ayling and Stuart Dallas. You might say Matthias Glish should be in it. Okay, now there's three. You might say Liam Cooper. Well, now there's four. Now, there's four championship players in your team. You see, Leeds don't even have a full 11 of Premier League calibre players. So when one of those players who is of Premier League calibre gets hurt, it's a championship calibre player or an unproven kid coming into the mix. So I don't think the blame for this should be laid at the feet of Marcelo Bielsa. I think, yes, he he maybe should have been more pragmatic. Yes, maybe he should have abandoned the man-to-man system. But his way of playing is is his way of playing. It's as simple as that. That's who Bielsa is, and it's what Bielsa does. It's what he's done from Newell's old boys to Atlas to America to Vela Sarsfield to Espanyol to Argentina to Chile to Athletic Bilbao, to Marseille, to Lille, and now to Leeds. This is what he does. And you know it before you hire him. His way is his way. He's not going to change. Now, I hope that he takes a little bit of time out and takes another job in the summer. You know, he's got four or five months now to relax, to reflect. And I hope he takes another job in the summer. I don't care where it is, but I will keep an eye on it because we need more people like Marcelo Bielsa in football. You know, there's something about him and his ways and his the style of play that is pure. It's not robotic like Guardiola's style can sometimes be. It's not anti-football the way you see with Hodgson and certain managers of that ilk. With Bielsa, it's pure football. And it's just, it's very difficult to understand how Leeds United, who were going nowhere, can dismiss this man who should have been given a lifetime contract just for getting them into the division and then keeping them in the division with the team that he was given. Now, the rumours are that Jesse Marsh is the one who will replace him. And I like Jesse Marsh. I do. I think Jesse Marsh has a big future. But Jesse Marsh failed spectacularly at RB, 
RB Leipzig this season. He did a really good job at Red Bull Salzburg. A really good job. He did pretty well with New York Red Bulls. Not great, but pretty well. His first managerial stint, we'll throw it out because it's over a decade ago. Well, it's a decade ago, to be fair. Montreal Impact. Uh, 36 games, lost 17, drew 7 of them. Only 12 wins. That wasn't good. And his Leipzig time wasn't good. But he's clearly a good manager. And he's clearly got good ideas. So we'll wait and we'll see how he does, if it is indeed him who takes over. But I just don't understand how Leeds can justify moving on from Bielsa, unless it was him who initiated the discussion, unless he just felt he could do no more. But I'm just... It's a shame for English football that he's gone. And I don't think he'll come back. I don't think we'll see him again in England. I think Leeds were his club here in the Premier League. And that was to be it. But no doubt others will line up to take him. There's absolutely no doubt about that. He is a legend in the game. He is an icon to so many. And he's an inspiration to a laundry list of top, top managers. And I would imagine if he's taking phone calls, he will have received a lot of phone calls from other Premier League managers wishing him well and congratulating him on the job that he's done. It's just a shame. It just is a shame. Uh, For Leeds, they are 16th in the table, only two points ahead of Burnley now, and Burnley do have two games in hand. So it's a difficult job for anyone to walk into. I still think Leeds, when they get Calvin Phillips back, that makes such a difference to them. And they've got Bamford to come back as well. So I think they'll be okay. I still think they'll be okay. But it is looking, it's looking shaky right now. For Spurs, they needed that win. And it keeps them in touch with those above. They are three points behind Arsenal, though Arsenal do have a game in hand on them. Uh, They are three points behind West Ham. They have two games in hand on West Ham. They have two games in hand on Manchester United. And they are five points behind. So they can still work their way into it, but I'm I'm giving up uh, expecting them to put things together because they just let you down time and time again. We'll move on from there to Brentford nil, Newcastle two. This game was spoiled in the 11th minute when Josh De Silva was sent off. I think it was probably the right decision to send him off. But from there, it was one-way traffic. I mean, 26 shots, 11 on target, 63% possession away from home. That's a, that's a one-sided whooping. Um, Jolington put, Newcastle one up on 33. Joe Willock made it two on 44, and that was basically it. The only notable moment in the second half was Christian Eriksen. And while the Bielsa story has made me sad, this Eriksen story makes me very happy to see Christian Eriksen back on a football pitch playing after what we witnessed at the Euros 
I thought we'd never see him play again. I, to be honest, we, nobody was sure he'd even live. And he not only has he lived, he has returned and is back playing. And um, it is, it's a wonderful story. And credit to Brentford for being the team with the guts to go and make it happen. And credit to him for the work he's put in. Uh, Brentford are 15th in the table. They are in very poor form. They are three points clear of Burnley, but have played three games more. And things are really starting to look shaky for them. Really starting to look shaky. For the tune, it's four wins out of five. And they have climbed their way to 14th in the table. They are now only two points behind Leicester. They have played two games more, but still. They're only two get two points behind Leicester. It is a remarkable turnaround. What Eddie Howe has been able to do is exceptional. They're targeting the right games to win. They're picking up points when a win is not possible. And I think we can be fairly confident that Newcastle should be okay this season and should stay in the division. Moving on then to Crystal Palace won, Burnley won. Palace went one up from a Jeff Schlupp goal on nine minutes. Luka Milojojevic with an own goal on 46. This wasn't a great game of football. I thought it would be better than it was. It just wasn't. Uh, Burnley did have a goal disallowed. It was rightly disallowed for offside. But look, Burnley will be absolutely thrilled with a point. They are very much the, the ironborn of the Premier League. Uh, what is dead cannot die. I think that's, is that the saying? What is, what is dead can never die. Um, they're one point behind Everton. One point behind Everton. With the same amount of games played. Now Burnley are at home to Leicester and at home to Chelsea in their next two. Everton are away to Tottenham and at home to Wolves in their next two. So, there's a real chance. Uh, like It's tough to see Everton getting anything at Tottenham. If Burnley can get even a point against Leicester, Burnley will go above Everton because they have a, super a superior goal uh, difference. Burnley are doing what I've expected them to do and dragging themselves out of the bottom three. And if I'm Leeds, I'm Everton, or I'm Brentford, I'm really, really concerned right now because your form is in the toilet. And Burnley all of a sudden have seven points from their last three games. That doesn't read well for you. Uh, moving on. Manchester United nil, Watford nil. Now, hearing that scoreline, you'd think Watford went, defended heroically and played quite well. That's not the case. Watford were awful. United were just as bad. Uh, United had 22 shots in the game. Three of them on target. Three. One of them was a stoppage time potluck shot by Bruno Fernandes that went straight at the goalkeeper. So in the previous 94 minutes, United managed two shots on target. Watford managed two shots on target. Uh, Cristiano missed a sitter. Bruno missed a good chance. Cristiano was awful. Pogba was awful. The things that you expect to happen, happened. And um, United just aren't very good at the moment. It's 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 that simple. They're just not very good. And uh, this is a very bad result. It's a very good result for Watford, 
gives them an extra point that they probably weren't expecting. They are three points from Everton, but they have a worse goal differential. Two points behind Burnley. Now, Burnley and Everton with two games played more than them. Manchester United are three points behind Chelsea. They sit fourth, but Chelsea have two games in hand. They are two points ahead of West Ham, who've played the same amount of games. They're two points ahead of Arsenal. And Arsenal have three games in hand. Now, the games in hand are quite difficult, but it is what it is. They're five points ahead of Spurs with two games in hand. Not a good result for United. Not what they needed here at all. Uh, moving on then to Brighton nil, Aston Villa 2. This is about as bad as you can play and win 2-0. Uh, Villa were not good tactically. They were all over the place. Brighton were just masters of their own demise. Maddie Cash on 17 minutes. Really good finish. Chest control and half volley from the edge of the box. Ollie Watkins makes a 2 on 68. It's a long hopeful ball then the flank by Tyron Mings that Joel Veltman completely misjudges and Ollie Watkins just punishes him. Does really, really well. It's a great finish, but Villa were not good in this game. They had a couple of good moments, but they weren't good in this game. But they get the win, and that's all that really matters. It's a big win for them as well because their form had been very poor. But they now sit 12th with 30 points, same as Crystal Palace, but they have two games in hand on Palace. They're three points clear of Leicester, but Leicester have two games to handle them. Leicester have only played 23 games. Now, that can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. Um, it can be a bad thing when you're in as bad a form as they're in, but you know they've still got the opportunity to catch up uh, points on some teams above them. For example, they've got three games in hand on Brighton, who are six points clear of them. So they could find their way into the top half if they can get their act together. Um, this one was controversial Everton nil, Manchester City 1 this was about as bad as City have played all season this was worse than they played against uh, Spurs this was legitimately worse than they played against Spurs Everton played with a real frenzy and a real tempo to their game disrupted City's passing network really forced them back when they didn't want to be forced back, pressed them in key areas, defended surprisingly well. City were still on top in the game. Everton had a couple of half chances, but nothing of real note. Phil Foden scored the only goal of the game, a tap-in after a bit of a scramble. But what's controversial about this is that there's a moment in the game where the ball bounces in the City box Rodri tries to control it and it hits his arm. And it very clearly hits his arm. And the referees look at it. The VAR looks at it. And they decide there's not conclusive evidence that it hits his arm below the line that's deemed as acceptable. Uh, now Everton have lost their minds on this and Lampard had some very strong words after the game that are probably going to see him either get charged or get fined. If he doesn't get either, it's going to look really bad on the FA and the PGMOL. Now, Everton have written to the Premier League demanding an apology after a controversial handball decision. You see, when you see the picture, it does look like it hits him just above the elbow on the inside crook of his arm. But again, it's 
what you really need to see is a sh- you'd need to see a shot from above. That just that shot just doesn't exist. It really it looked like a handball. It did. It looked like a handball. Lampard said we got we lost a point today because of a professional who cannot do his job right. It's so incompetent to get it wrong. So Everton have demanded an apology. And it's Paul Tierney on the whistle and Chris Kavanagh on the VAR. And I suppose Kavanagh's thing is that it has to be a clear and obvious error, doesn't it? It has to be clear and obvious that it was handled and the referee didn't say it was handled. So, oh, it's difficult. It is difficult. Everton deserved a point from the game. Credit to them. They gave absolutely everything they have. And if they can play like that the rest of the way, they'll probably be okay. I just don't expect them to play like that the rest of the way. That's the type of result, the type of thing that can be really deflating for a team. And, um, yeah, it's very, very unfortunate. City City got away with one. There's, there's no other way to look at it other than to say City got away with one. Uh, West Ham won Wolves nil. This is a pretty good game, fairly even. Thomas Suchek with the only goal of the game. A big win for West Ham, a big defeat for Wolves. That's three defeats now in five. And maybe now we see Wolves just fall back a little bit and join the likes of Southampton and Brighton and Villa and Leicester in that kind of mid-table group, as opposed to the the top seven who are going for the European spots. Uh, like I say, big win for West Ham. They needed it. They'd only won one in the previous five, I think, so they needed this one. And they get the win with Thomas Suchek's only goal of the game. So that is the games from the weekend. Look, they weren't great. I thought it was a fairly weak weekend of Premier League action. You look through the games. I mean, Southampton played well. Norwich just didn't. Spurs played well. Leeds were awful. The Brentford-Toon game was ruined. The United Watford game was awful. Uh, the Palace Burnley game was a bit poor. Brighton Villa, it was a bit of a mess, really. Everton City was a decent game, just because Everton made it so difficult for City. And then the game yesterday was was okay. West Ham well, was it probably the best game of the weekend. The cup final was excellent. Like it, it has to be said, for a nil nil draw, it's the best nil nil draw you'll ever see. It had absolutely everything you want. There's loads of drama, tense nature, some some good football played. And then the penalties were just were great. So, yeah. Um, all in all, not the strongest of weekends, but not a bad one. Not a bad one. I'm just, I'm good at for Bielsa. I am. I am just good at for Bielsa. I really did hope that he would stay and be given till the end of the season be, and stick around then for next season because I do think that they will stay up. I think when they get Phillips back, that improves them massively on the defensive side of things. And then if they get Bamford back, they get some goals. And that's what they need. And they're good enough to stay up. They're better than Brentford. They've got a better manager than Everton. I think they're good enough to stay up, but we'll wait and see. Um... Right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we have some news. We have Garth Crooks making his usual appearance, and we'll have the gossip. So I'll see you in a sec.
Right, welcome back. So, uh, let's start off with Russia have been told not to compete under their national flag. FIFA has told Russia to complete their upcoming games in neutral territory under the name Football Union of Russia without their flag and anthem following the invasion of Ukraine. Several nations announced that they will refuse to play Russia, including England, Wales, Poland, the Czech Republic and Sweden. The World Cup 22 playoffs would see Russia face Poland before facing either the Czech Republic or Sweden if they win. And those are scheduled to be played in March. And now all three of those teams have said they will not play Russia. Now, what we've seen in the Olympics, if anyone kept an eye on the Winter Olympics recently, was the international athletes from Russia, or whatever they were called. That That's the second time that's been what they've been called at that Winter Olympics and the, the last Summer Olympics. So Russia are already banned in that regard. It looks like they could be banned from playing football under their nation. It's 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 not fair on the players. And it's look, a lot of players who've come out from other nations and said, I don't want to play against them, have made it clear it's not the fault of the players. It's the fault of a lunatic. It's the fault of one lunatic who's a stumpy little man trying to prove he's still the big I am. He's basically the Kepa of presidents. You know, remember Kepa refused to be taken off. Well, he's refused to leave office. And it's good to see that he doesn't have the backing of the people of Russia. There's been protests everywhere. A lot of people in his cabinet have stepped aside. They don't want any part of this. This is him. This is his doing. It's very, very interesting to see. There's also talk that UEFA are going to remove, is it Spartak Moscow, are still in the Europa League, and they're going to be removed as well, apparently. So, yeah, sanctions coming down all over the place. Uh, Gigi Buffon has extended his contract at Parma until 2024, meaning he will be 46 when it expires. I love this. For me and my family, this is a wonderful day. I hope the city and the fans will all be happy. My return to Parma was linked to relationships and the deep bond I've always had with this city. If I hadn't believed in what the president has in mind, had in mind and what we were doing, I would not have accepted this proposal. I am optimistic for the future of this club. It is a beautiful and exciting challenge for me. This is brilliant. I hope Gigi keeps playing until he's 50. I really do. He is the greatest goalkeeper of all time. And I want to see him keep playing as long as he can. Um, obviously, one part of the Russia saga is that Roman Abramovich is coming under the spotlight. He's obviously got strong links to Putin, despite his attempts to deny them. Um, he issued a statement announcing he was handing the stewardship and care of Chelsea Football Club to the trustees of Chelsea's charitable foundation. Now, it was a statement that didn't really mean anything, but they have now come out and said they have not agreed to take control of the club. So it's going to get a little bit messy here, a little bit of an uncertain time for Chelsea. Uh, the club owe the owner $1.5 in loans, which means that if anyone wanted to buy Chelsea, They'd likely have to buy 
the club as an individual entity, which would be, I don't know, two and a half, three billion maybe, and then pay off the loans to Abramovich, would anyone really be stepping up to pay that kind of money for Chelsea? Not an ideal time to be a Chelsea fan. Gareth Crooks' team of the week. Here we go. Uh, Cuevin Kelleher. I have no issue with that. I would say Mendy is, is as deserving, though he didn't score a penalty, so out you get Mendy. Kelleher, no problem. Uh, Maddie Cash scored, so that's why. Van Dijk was man of the match in the uh, Carabao Cup, that's why. Fabian Schaar had an assist, so that's that's him. Uh, Matt Doherty scored. Jolington scored. Willock scored. Kulisevsky scored. He's put Phil Foden in the team. Phil Foden didn't play well. Uh, Harry Kane, he scored and got an assist. And Luis Diaz, who you just couldn't ignore. He was just so good in that final. Um, interesting thing from the City game. Guardiola made two attacking subs at nine, uh, when the score was 0-0. Neither of them involved bringing on his £100 million signing. It's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? That he wouldn't be... He wouldn't be the first guy you'd bring on. Uh, wonderful news from north of the border as Rangers go two up and then chuck the lead away. Uh, Celtic drew nil-nil with Hibs and Rangers couldn't take advantage. So always a good day when that happens. And that's basically it. That's all the news. Uh, Napoli have gone top of Serie A. A late Fabian Ruiz winner gave them the win over Lazio. Um, that is basically our lot in terms of news so we'll run through the few days of gossip that we have and we'll get out of here nice and quick today don't really there's no real need to do too much of a long podcast today there was a there was a lot of football there's a lot we talked about through the week so we'll, we'll get there we'll get there up the week uh, Paris Saint-Germain could make a move for Angolo Kante in the summer would make sense. Would make sense. He he does look like he's starting to just slow a little bit. Um, Mirko Pochettino has rebuffed advances to take over at Old Trafford because he wants to become Real Madrid manager. I doubt that to be true. Uh, meanwhile, Netherlands midfielder Ginny Wijnaldum could leave PSG. He's been leaving since he signed, according to the press. Harry Kane could once again request to leave Tottenham if Antonio Conte leaves as Spurs boss. That's definitely happening. That is definitely happening. Uh, Liverpool have set their sights on signing Darwin Nunes in the summer. I'd be very much on board with that. Liverpool and Arsenal have both made offers for Marcus, Marco Asensio. I, I doubt it. He hasn't been very good in the last couple of years. Arsenal have contacted Alexander Isak, but want Real Sociedad to lower it. They're not going to lower the release clause. Well, maybe they will. Maybe they take 60 million instead of 80. And I do like him. I think he's very, very talented. But you'd want more of a guaranteed goal return, surely. Chelsea have the option of triggering a one-year contract extension to defender Cesar Azpilicueta's deal, which runs out in the summer. How is this only coming out? It's 90minute.com. It's probably crap. RB Leipzig's Spanish left-back Angelino could leave the German club in the summer with Arsenal, Tottenham and Barcelona all linked. 
Arsenal don't need him. Tottenham don't need him. Barcelona could be interesting. I don't think he's that good. Carol Matchett loves him. I don't think he's great. Southampton hope they can keep Tino Livermento for at least one more year with Manchester United keen on him. If United get interested, Chelsea will trigger the buy their buyback. Simple as that. London rivals West Ham and Brentford are interested in Hull City's English pair, Keen Lewis Potter and Jacob Greaves. They're more Brentford level than West Ham level at this point, I'd say, but they're both very talented. Denmark defender Christian and Andreas Christensen will not consider a move to another Premier League club. Uh, this is Romano talking out of his backside as always. West Ham, Leicester and Everton have been linked to the move for Alex Scott of Bristol City. He is meant to be very, very talented. Aston Villa will listen to offers for Esri Conza. What? Let me click into this. Aston Villa to listen to offers for Esri Conza after huge Jamie Carragher claim. What is this nonsense? Steven Gerrard is not convinced by the reliability and consistency of the defender. This is magnificent stuff. If this is true, then Gerrard should be fired. If this is true, then Gerrard should be fired. Because Esri Konza is by far the best centre-back at Aston Villa. And the fellow who partners him is awful. Now, it is Wayne Vesey, the football insider, who has absolutely no clue what's going on anywhere. So it's probably garbage, but still. Uh, Atletico Madrid are considering a move for Giovanni Di Lorenzo. He's not very good at all. Why would you do that? Uh, Real Madrid believe they can afford the financial packages needed to sign Kylian Mbappe and Erling Haaland. Of course they can. Newcastle are keen to sign Kepa. With the Blues prepared to listen to offers around the £50 million mark, they're not going to get 50 If they get £20 million for Kepa, they'll be lucky. Because he has been a disaster since going there. Meanwhile, Newcastle owner Amanda Staveley said that Sven Botman and Jesse Lingard both wanted to join the club in January. This is an attempt at PR that is not working very well for Amanda Staveley, who has not done a particularly good job since taking over at Newcastle. Um, Tottenham want to beat Newcastle, the signing of Botman, to convince Antonio Conte the club will back him. If Botman ascends, that's where he goes. West Ham boss David Moyes says he spoke to Columbia Ford Luis Diaz as the Hammers tried to convince him to join before he went to Liverpool. Yeah. Barcelona lead Bayern Munich in the race to sign Andreas Christensen. Leicester are plotting a move for Chelsea's 19-year-old central defender, Levi Colwell, who is on loan at Huddersfield. He is exceptionally talented. He is going to be a hell of a defender. Manchester United are monitoring Cody Gakpo and Joe Polina. Polina would be a brilliant signing. They don't need Gakpo. Uh, Real Sociedad and Sweden striker Alexander Isak is favouring a switch to Barcelona, of course. Uh, Barcelona are plotting a move for Eric Bailly. Why? Anyone, anyone know why? 
English striker Ashley Fletcher has gone to New York Red Bulls. Max Kilman is in contention to be called up by Gareth Southgate and should be. He has been tremendous this year. And finally then, Inter Miami will push to sign Lionel Messi if he decides to leave PSG. Robert Lewandowski's contract with... As spoofer, we're not going to read that. Borussia Dortmund and Norway striker Erling Haaland has not agreed to join Real Madrid in the summer, according to uh, Jan Agafjortoft, who should never be listened to about anything, because he's as big a spoofer as Romano is. Barcelona hope to be in the race to sign Haaland, right? Uh, Barcelona are moving closer to signing Frank Kessie. Might only get some more players off your wage bill, so... Uh, Newcastle missed out on Sven Botman, and he has been linked with Tottenham and AC Milan. Andreas Christensen has called his contract situation difficult. Chelsea are considering a move to re-sign Eden Hazard. Go for it, please. Marcelo Bielsa sacking at Leeds could see Manchester United move for Calvin Phillips. I do think that will be the end of Calvin Phillips at Leeds. I think he'll. I think he'll walk now. I think he'll go this summer. I don't think he'll sign a new contract. I think he was staying while Bielsa was there. Uh, Manchester United interim manager Ralph Ranić wants to sign, wants the club. I love these things. He wants them to sign players who they can't sign until after he's no longer manager. Like have a bit of cop on. Real Sociedad and Atalanta are being linked with loan moves for Demetrius Giannoulis. From Norwich. Uh, I think he'll be first choice for Norwich again next season. Former Manchester United midfielder Roy Keane has told the club to appoint Diego Simeone. Please don't. Please don't. If there's one lad who could solve that mess, it is him. So please don't please don't hire him. That would be disastrous for everybody else in the league. Gabby Agbon Lahore might be the pundit with the worst takes on football. I don't know if you saw his combined 11 for um, Liverpool-Chelsea, but it was embarrassing. And now he has said, Villa now have their own Sergio Busquets in the ranks. Uh, he was speaking exclusively to Football Insider. Uh, who on earth was he talking about? Morgan Sanson. What? Oh no, Douglas Louise. Right. Right. Let's just let's just close that and close that because dear oh dear. Uh we will leave it there for today, folks. A bit rambly, but you know. Good games, bad games. They happen to us all. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye. Podcast Network.